Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And as we come to hear your word, we know that you are interested in the work of transformation. You call people out of brokenness and separation from you into fellowship with you. You call them to be made new, to be renewed, and then you outfit them in armor and send them back into the spiritual battle. You call people to depend on you and to lift you up and to exalt you in worship. And then you call us fueled with that fire of worship to share the gospel with others. And Father, as we share, we pray that we would see that we are inviting people into the fellowship of the church, inviting them into a vital connection with Jesus, but also inviting them into our own lives and onto a journey of transformation. Father, I pray that as a church that we would embrace the idea that we are Jesus' followers. And that while the world may be content to say, this is me, accept me as I am, without any need or requirement that I change. Instead, may we, having received your grace, having been accepted as we are, and having our sins paid for, may we say, Lord, Turn me into who you want me to be. Remake me. Refashion me. Conform me into the image of your Son. Make me the version of me that you dreamed of when you created me. Turn me into what I should be. May we hear your word And may we respond to it in faith this morning, Father, as we come to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What is is the goal of the discipleship journey that we are 
called to as Christians. Uh, when we when we answer Jesus' call to follow Him, we uh, experience new life, and the Holy Spirit is placed within us. We begin to to do some of the works which God calls us to, the, the, the things that he says, those who believe and, and follow me and love me, they, they live like this. And so filled with, with joy and gratitude, we begin to follow Jesus. What is, what is the goal of, of the path of discipleship? I believe that the goal, based on Scripture, is Christ-likeness. Okay? Do not worry, that is not a graven image. Um, uh, that's kind of like ascendant, descending uh, Jesus. I've been, I've been drawing this to represent Jesus uh, on, on notes for years. Um, you are not even for a second tempted to worship that, and so therefore it is not an idol. Uh, the scriptures tell us that the goal of discipleship is Christ-likeness. That we would be like Jesus. Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, when he becomes all that he can be, if you remember those commercials, uh, he will be like his teacher. Romans 8.28 says this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined, think about this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is the pattern. If you've had the, uh, the, 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 the joy of messing around with Play-Doh and you've had all the tools... Right, you know, and you take the play-doh and you put it into the mold and you smash it. Right, all the extra play-doh oozes out, and then you've got that little pathetic knife that comes with the play-doh. You know that, and you you cut around the edge and you pull away all the excess, and then you open up the uh, the mold, and there you have whatever character they're 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 you know the playset is for Bob the Builder, Lego Batman, whatever you know. Uh, it's conformed to that image. God is remaking His people by His grace through the power of the Spirit to become like Christ. How does this occur? How are we changed? We are changed by God's grace. The Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. But it also says that we are saved by faith. That's the means by which we access God's grace. And there is also this element that, that we are called to engage this, to, to, be, to be part of it. Um, we're, we're called to, uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so we are going to apply some effort in terms of transformation. Paul says that it's his goal to present every man complete in Christ. And then he says, this is for which I, this is what I labor and strive for. This is uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29, that, that he takes, makes great effort, striving, he says, according to God's energy, which mightily works in him. 
So, so, so we're not talking about being saved. We're talking about the journey of transformation over the remainder of a lifetime. 2 Corinthians 3.18 again says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so it looks like this. It looks like gradual changes, steps forward along the path of the Christian life. As we look at Jesus, we're transformed and changed. He's the image. The Holy Spirit is is the power when we're being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. The Scripture says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It happens as we look at Jesus. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 says this, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that we need that that is required to grow into this image has been given to us. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has also granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Yes, the goal is Christ-likeness, personal transformation. But at the end of our, of our transformational journey as believers, when we finally break the tape of the race on that last day and hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, when we meet him in glory, we will be with him. We will be like him. The scripture says we become partakers of the divine nature. How how does this happen? We said by grace, by faith, but we apply effort or energy. Okay, I want to I want to get into a little bit of technical speak here for a moment with you. Okay, uh, I'm going to need my uh, my my I'm going to need a couple colors here. This is going to be going to be complicated all right we grow in grace by laying hold of something called the means of grace okay the means of grace this is technical theological speak the 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 foundational means of grace is faith we put our faith and trust in what god says in His Word, we hear the message of the Gospel, we believe it, and we are changed and transformed by it, okay? What is the means of overcoming daylight savings time? It is coffee. Okay? But listen, that, may, that is the functional means, okay? By which you, that is, this is the stuff that overcomes the drag of daylight savings time. But in order to do that, you need to have a structural means to deliver it, okay? And so what you need is a cup, right? And, and if you are wise slash lucky slash blessed slash whatever, your cup will say, Dunkin' Donuts on it. Yes. So, Think about all the things that go into getting you that cup, okay? You need, you need plastic. You need a lid. You need a, a, a gal who's going to put the cup on it. You need the app on your phone. You need all the stuff. You need beans. You need grinders. You need hot water. 
All of that is required to deliver coffee to you, okay? And so the foundational means is the coffee itself. The structural means is everything that goes in it, all right? Now, what are the means of grace given by God to the church that we might grow in grace? They are the Bible. This is the the testimony of God's grace. The words of grace, the promises of grace. Remember what, what, what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, right? By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Where do they come from? Where are they found? They're found in God's Word, in the testimony of grace. We also... Uh, are able to lay hold of grace through prayer, which is the appropriation of grace. This is communication with God. This is reaching out to Him and saying, Lord, I need You. Is anybody praying when we sung that song this morning? Doesn't the the song move from just being lyrics that some guy somewhere wrote and recorded and put on a CD that somebody said, hey, we should sing. And when the band is up and they're doing their thing and you have that moment where you kind of forget that you're in church and singing, you kind of feel like you might be in your car alone, right? You know, and you're just kind of singing out. All of a sudden you move from singing to praying. And you're saying, Lord, I need you, right? Prayer is, is saying, is saying, Send me grace. I need it. I need power, enablement. I'm empty without you. I need you. So prayer is a means by which we appropriate the grace of God. A third means is the church. These are the people of grace or the community of grace. You know what's nice about the church is that, um, or maybe it's not nice, right? You can fool yourself, and maybe you can fool some of the people who, who, who don't know you very well, but when people know you and they're involved in your life and you see them on a regular basis and they're, they're in, engaged in your life and they know what's going on and they can call you on your junk and on your excuses and on your lies, that fuels your growth in holiness. When you are prone to anxiety... Or you are, you are prone to wander and to, to isolate yourself from others. Or when you are prone to make excuses and someone can say, is that your junk speaking right there? Like, are you doing your thing? Are you deceiving yourself? Come back to the truth. Then you grow. And so the church is, is a means by which we grow, a means that God gave to us. And then a, a, a fourth one is providence. These are the circumstances of grace, right? Have you ever had one of those moments where somebody will just say, hey, I was praying for you the other day, or you'll receive a card from someone, or you get a message, or you just absolutely and utterly needed to be encouraged, and somebody spoke that word to you, and you think, like, was that random, or did God plan for that to happen? He did plan. He's working it out for you. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that, that we are his workmanship created for God for good works in Christ, which God has prepared beforehand for us. He laid them out. When I was a kid there, there at the public library, there were these red footprints that started in the parking lot. 
right? You know, they were just kind of random footprints, and uh, and and they were they would they would head towards the sidewalk, and if you followed them, you'd wind up at the front door of the library, which you know I was kind of I was always there with my mom anyway, so I always made it to the door. But it was like it's like they're they're guiding you in the path. God has put good works, opportunities to learn and to grow and to give Him glory and to help and to serve others in your path. He's mapped it out for you. And He lays them out in the circumstances of your life. That's providence. These are all means by which when we say, you know what, I'm going to lay hold of the Scripture. I'm going to reach out in prayer. I am going to invest and, and be invested in by the church. And I'm going, to, I'm going to look for God's gracious action in my life. We grow in our knowledge and understanding. Okay? Now, this is an important place not to get tripped up. You will become a legalist if you think, if I do these things, then I will grow. Remember, if I were to pull into the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru this morning and say, I need to overcome the fact that we all woke up late, you know, and we're all behind. I need, I need, some, I need some help overcoming daylight savings time. And they just handed me an empty cup, right? I, I, I'd be like, no, no, no. Put some, put some power in that cup, right? The functional means of grace is faith. Believing in what God has done for us because that is how we access all that God has for us. So when he says, believe this, and we say, I believe that, the Spirit works in us and transforms. Jesus has accomplished salvation for us on the cross. We access it by grace, I mean, by, by faith and by, by grace. These all give strength and structure to our faith. There's a load of people out there right now who just, you know, they, they think positive thoughts about God and they, and they think that somehow that, that they're right with God and they're good with God because they're like, you know what, I love God. And then you ask them what God is like and they give you some random, strange definition. The Bible gives us structure for who God is. The Bible tells us who God is. Well, who are you to say that the Bible tells us who God is? I don't say that. That's what the Bible says. Right? You know? Um, anyway, uh, the, the Bible gives us structure. Prayer enables us to remain close with God. The church enables us to, uh, to, to receive course correction and encouragement. And, and there's a band of people who are engaged in, hopefully, significant ministry together. That, that we can say, you know what? There's good work being done here. I'm going to come and be part of this team. And then the circumstances of grace as we recognize that every good thing or everything that happens is for our good, we, we grow in our faith. That's the, the means of, of grace. Uh, it was Spurgeon who said that the Christian life is like a hill of ice. You can't just slide up it. You have to, with an ice axe, carve out each step along the way. Colossians, Paul says, For this I strive, I toil, working with all his energy that mightily works within me. But we have a problem, don't we? Because if, if, if it were that easy, if it were just like, read the Bible, pray, show up at church, and look for good things that are happening in our life, then we'd all just be like, 
on the express train to Christ-likeness, right? But it's not like that because we have a, a problem. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is an act of worship to engage transformation and to say, Lord, I believe, teach me, change me, transform me, but there is this undertow, right? It said, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Imagine if you were to to take a sweet little lamb, the kind that they would sacrifice, and then you were to put it on the altar alive, right? Just humanize that animal just for a moment. And he's like, hey, what's going on here? Knife, altar, I'm out of here, right? He'd jump off and run away. And that's what living sacrifices do. We, we, we resist the change. We, we fight against transformation. We, we come into church or we show up at Bible study or we meet up for coffee with our friend. And when we, when we are in a trusted environment, we unburden and we say, you know what, I'm really struggling. Because our Christian life has a, 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 an element of, of struggle or pain in it. Uh, now, theologians don't use this term, but I think it's a good one. Um, we are all struggling with the possibility of, of heading in another direction in our Christian life. There is no parking brake in following Jesus. You can't like just kind of take a, take a pause and, and, and pull the parking brake and just coast, right? Or, or just stay stationary in the Christian life. You will coast. And, and if this is an uphill battle, you will coast backwards because of the drag of sin. Uh, we could call this the means of sin. The means of either being lost or of accumulating Bible knowledge and assuming that it's all about a rules orientation to the world that I must... I must, uh, I must be perfect in order to earn God's affection, right? That makes us toxic to ourselves. Uh, we could be ineffective, never growing, not a single bit, never, never experiencing any bit of transformation. Remember the, uh, the man who was given a talent and he was told by his master to go and to use it and he buried it in the ground. Everyone else engaged and and received some interest some return on what they had and what they invested they applied and used their their wit and their energy and they they earned a profit and then when the master came back they were like here this is what we've done and they were rewarded but the guy who buried it in the ground he said i knew you were hard and and cruel now this this guy's not hard and cruel but the the man's interpretation of the master was that that he would punish him if he didn't give back exactly what he was given and that man is bound hand and foot and thrown out into outer darkness that's matthew 25 is that guy lost or not right i'd leave it to you to read matthew 25 and to work out the implications either way it's no good you don't just you don't squander the grace that god's given to you you say you've been good to me I am going to run in your ways for your glory, my joy, and the fulfilling of my purpose in life. 
Sin drags us away. The functional means of sin is unbelief. And unbelief embraces disobedience. Now, you might not love that, but that's what God has to say on the matter. Listen to John 3.36 and, and, and make this distinction. Hear, hear, what, hear what John is saying. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Oh, that's good news, right? Believe in the Son and you have eternal life. Now, notice the contrast here. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You want to be saved? Believe in the Son. You want to be lost forever? Disobey the Son. What's, what's being said there? Faith leads to obedience of God. It just does. Does obedience save you? No. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we say, Father, what would you have me do? And we seek to follow. When we refuse to believe God and we say, my way is better, then we disobey Him. That's the, the, the functional means of, of sin, of embracing sin in our life. Now, there are three means, I believe, that the Bible uh, describes in terms of the structural means of sin. And they are, first, the world. The world. Now, when I say the world, I don't mean like the created order that we can see, right? Like everything around you is not bad, you know, like bad pen, bad body, bad stage, bad, you know, like don't think that way. One day I will shuffle off this mortal coil and be on a cloud somewhere in heaven with a harp and a white robe, like Pretty sure the Bible describes a new heavens and a new earth and a giant cube city coming down out of heaven and people walking around in bodies. That's what heaven's like, right? We're not going to be like, you know, we don't get changed into angels. That's not in the Bible. Angels keep their job description forever. And people will be people forever. But you know what's cool? You're going to be better than the angels in heaven. I know you're like, but angels have wings. Yeah, it's cool, but you don't get to be an angel and you won't be disappointed. Trust me on that. Okay. Um, the world is the philosophy and the society of sin. We spot the world, the world's way of thinking, first in the Bible when Satan says, you can be like God. And the people say, that sounds really good. Here's the thing about God. There can only be one God. There can only be one. And when we, when we say, I want his job description, we are, we are now suddenly stepping out of our role as creatures under the authority of a creator and we are attempting to become our own masters. Jesus says this in John 16.33, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The world is the, the residue, the, the leftovers of human ingenuity when we embrace how we can find purpose, dignity, value, security, and wholeness without God. We are embracing the world's way of thinking. It's a philosophy of sinfulness and detachment. 
It is, it is a society that says, we're all right not honoring God. That's, that's the world. They, um, one of the things that I've noticed is um, that the world will say, this person's awesome as long as they are on a trajectory of, of disregarding God and they are successful and growing in popularity and they've, they've never, you know, they're, they're, just, they're, they're just on the rise. Like, look at them. Their star is ascendant. They're wonderful, that celebrity right there. And then the minute that they do something that, that our society rejects, because we do have our own definition of what sin is. Nowadays, it's being intolerant or whatever. You know, then all of a sudden, it's like we condemn and hate that person forever. You notice that? That's the way this tribe works. The world crushes what's in opposition to it. Romans one twenty one says, Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The world says you can have it all and you can have it without dependence on God. Consume, have more, feed your freedom. Jesus has given us the antidote to the world though, and that is contentment. There's no way I'm getting this all done this morning. That's okay. We'll figure it out. Uh, The second enemy, uh, the second means of sin is the flesh. It is this principle of indwelling sin that lives within us. It's the impulse to sin, right? When you see those videos of kids, they're, they're left in a, a locked room and they're, said, they're told, hey, don't touch this chocolate, right? And then the adult leaves and they're like, chocolate, yummy, must touch the chocolate, right? You know, that's, that's, that's the desire, the appetite for sin. It's the desire to, 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 to have what we what, what we what we crave. Let me say one thing about contentment. Um, Peter says that God's divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. To look to God and to say, "I'm satisfied in what You have given me, satisfied enough that I'm okay with who I am right now." And I'm okay with who you are and I'm waiting on you to transform me. I look out at the world and I see people not to be controlled, but people to be loved. I view, I view my life as an act now of, of sacrifice because I am content with my status and position. That doesn't mean you need to stay in your job forever. It just means that you need to say, you know what, Lord, I can serve you just as I am. I don't need one more thing. I don't need to be changed, not one bit, in order to to live the life that you're calling me to. You'll change. You'll grow. You'll be transformed. But to be content is to say, in this moment, I have everything that I need to serve God. I I can be satisfied. Paul said he learned to be content in all circumstances, whether he had plenty or whether he was hungry, whether he had an abundance or whether he had a need, because he could do everything through Christ who strengthened him. Let's talk about uh, the flesh. Uh, Jesus said that out of the mouth proceed, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that's what defiled a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, uh, immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It's that desire for sin within us. 
Uh, the antidote is not to, is to resist the desire to constantly indulge and to embrace self-sacrifice. To embrace self-sacrifice. To look to Jesus and to say he was content with who he was and where he was and he lived a life of self-sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. John thirteen thirty four. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Self-sacrifice that says others are just as important as me. And God, loving God, is more important than all other things. That's a way to resist the flesh. And then third enemy is the devil. The devil is the instigator of sin. Let me, let me tell you something about the devil. The devil is a coward who runs away. And yet he has the ability to to uh, marshal, to organize, and to bring against you this host of, of forces that are going to resist and attack you with lies. Be sober-minded is what Peter says regarding the devil. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He scares with a roar. John 8.44 says that, that he is a liar from the beginning. But knowing the truth about the devil and knowing the limits of his power is the antidote, what we need to know to defeat him. Truth. Think about what Paul says when he talks about the armor of God. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. All the fiery darts of the evil one. James 4, 6 says that God gives more grace. He opposes the proud, but He gives the great grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and what will happen? He will, He will, guaranteed, flee from you. And so, knowing the truth, we can overcome the schemes of the devil. Knowing that we're called to, to live holy lives which are other-centered, we can overcome the temptations and struggles of the flesh. And, and being confronted with all kinds of desire for more and for security in ourselves, we can look at what God has given us and be content. In all things, we look to Jesus and we focus on our identity. I want to point out how important it is, though, that we do this together. The Christian life, I believe it's a consistent mistake that Christians don't band together. That, that we come into our churches and we say, I'm fine, everything's okay. And, and we hide our struggles. We don't build trusted friendships and relationships where, where we say, you know what, I need you to pray for me. 
I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to ask me some difficult questions. I need you to ask if I'm reading the scriptures. I need you to call me up when I don't show up at church and say, what's going on? You know, I just felt like sleeping in. You know, well, get up. You know, like stop being so... We need each other because the undertow is so strong. It's so strong. We need togetherness. And we need to keep our eyes on Christ all the time. Now, I just want to, as I'm, as I'm, I'm finishing up, I want to point out one or, or two things. Uh, I believe that, that it is important and imperative that the church give believers tools to try to make these things happen. This is part of the reason why uh, I've asked you guys to pray for five people who you believe need to come to Christ who need to hear the message of the gospel. Uh, five because it's hard. Some of you have messaged me and said, like, it's really hard to find five people that are around me, like, and to pick who to pray for. Well, good. Like, that's the part of the point. It's difficult. It's easy for us to say, yeah, I know I should share the gospel. It's a whole lot harder to say, these are the five that I'm going to pray for and try to share the gospel with. That's hard, getting very specific. One of the ways in which we grow is to be part of a smaller group of people or to be part of a, a one-on-one relationship. And, and right now, uh, a, a number of leaders in the church have been meeting and plotting a new uh, small groups movement and a launch of a, of a new way of doing small groups. And, uh, and we, we're coming to you guys and saying, you need, to, you need to say, I'm interested, I need that, because we're going to come and we're going to talk to you about that. You know, I think that I could facilitate a small group. I think that I could, I'm, I'm mature enough to lead one. And then we'll say, hey, okay, here's when we're going to do some training. And, and we'll lay out the requirements. And so you've got the connect card there. If you're, if you're feeling like, yeah, I believe this. I believe that we need to look to Christ. And if you teach me and train me how to help others, then I'll do it. Maybe you already know how to do that. Maybe you, you're like, I've led a small group before. I can do this. Just, just mark it off and turn it in when the offering comes around. As a church, we want to make sure that, that as we pursue Christ-likeness, that we do everything that we do through a filter of love. That we say, what is the most loving thing within the boundaries of God's Word that we can do to love people and to draw them on into the kingdom? We need to focus on our identity in Christ, right? We need to know Jesus, to know what he's like and to to know what it is that, that God has done for us. And we need to learn our identity in him and learn how to rest in him and learn how to trust in the scripture promises. And then from knowing him, then we move into to doing. That's how we we are, are, are transformed by saying it's not me doing it, it's, it's God working in me, transforming me, shaping me, learning how to abide in our identity, to remain connected to the vine, as, as Jesus says. He is the vine, we are the branches. Right? Do you ever, you ever feel spiritually like you need to be the vine? You know, learning just to, to repent of, of needing to do it all your own and learning to depend on God and to trust in His promises as we then seek to, to do things for Him. Remember that grace is the root. That what Jesus has done is, is at the foundation of all that we do. 
And that what He is doing through us is the fruit. And that it's not vice versa. That we don't need to do things to earn our, our, His affection. The, the hope is that as we understand that it's the conspiracy of the world, the flesh, and the devil to draw us away. This is the hope. That in greater and greater numbers, people within Harvest, that, that this would be the beginning of a, of a movement is it crazy to believe that we could, we could show health to other churches and that we could, we could start other churches or you know, send out missionaries from this place who have the same burden, who say that we are better together and that when we stick together and we care for one another and we receive care, that we, by faith, are being grown into the image of Christ and that we do it together. Listen, this is what Jesus says. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. That that is the the transformative test of whether or not we are truly his disciples. How do we love one another if we don't really know each other? How do we love one another if we don't really trust one another? How do we help one another if we don't spend time together? How do we serve one another if we're not content to lower the shield and to say, this is my need? And so I think we've got some good stuff going on here. But let's take it the next step. Let's grow in grace and fellowship and knowledge of one another and in our devotion and pursuit of Christ-likeness together as, driv- as we, driven by love, seek to live out this Christian life together. I'm going to pray. Uh, Jerry's going to come and just share with you for a moment. We're going to take up the offering and then we're going to close in, in, in song. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in calling us to yourself. We thank you that that by your grace, you have called us into fellowship with you. You've taken our sins and placed them on your son. You've removed them as far as the east is from the west. And then you call us on this journey. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross daily. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so, Lord, I pray that we would band together, not just as a team of fans of Jesus, but that you would rework and remake us, that we might be a team of those who are following you. Not a a band of spectators, but a team that's actually working together to accomplish greater growth, greater grace, and gospel impact and transformation in this place on the Eastern Shore, in Salisbury, in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces. We pray that you would change us and that by your grace, you would enable us to teach others to walk in your way. We thank you. We pray your grace on all that we do. I pray that that we would catch a fire for what you could do through us together.
and that you would use us for your glory, by your grace, and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.